0: Hi, it's podcast o'clock here at Budget. My name is Nancy and it's a pleasure to have you listen in. Well, today's conversation is the Active Citizens Award special edition. I'm sure you must have heard about Budget Active Citizens Award. Yeah, it was held in September. If you've been following us on social media, I'm most certain you got the buzz one way or another. But in case you missed it, well, you should definitely check it out at Budget NG on our social media platform. Or simply visit www.awards.civic.org. Right. So the Active Citizens Award was phenomenal. I mean, budget spotlighted individuals and organizations who are doing tremendous work to promote social equity, good governance, service delivery through projects within Nigeria's civic ecosystem. And on today's episode, we hearing from an incredible person within the space and how her organization's effort has translated into better service delivery for Nigeria and Nigerians. So our guest on this episode is Funke Adeoye. Funke is the Executive Director of Hope Behind Bars Africa, a youth-led organization galvanizing for change in the criminal justice system using service delivery, data, technology, adoption, and evidence-based advocacy right we'll be hearing from Funke in a bit hello Funke how are you doing I'm doing great thank you thank you for joining us today Funke will be joined by Viola Kwaga, a Senior Research and Policy Analyst at Budgets Foundation Viola will be filling us in on some of Budgets work as it regards social justice and equity in Nigeria Viola how are you
1: I'm doing fantastic great to be here thank you for having me
0: thank you for joining us so let's let's go right into the conversation. Yeah. So Finke, um, thank you for joining us once again. I know that Hope Behind Bars has been advocating for human rights in Nigeria for years now, and um, would like to know what Hope Behind Bars has done or is doing to improve social equity and justice in Nigeria. So if I'm putting it in four words, so I'll just say, tell us your story. Tell
2: us the story of Hope Behind Bars. Thank all right thank you so much and thank you once again for having me so um very interesting question uh the story of hope behind bars around equity and social justice yeah so when i look at um how we started it actually came from the place of need the, the place of um seeking justice for people that don't particularly have justice so i will go straight to telling my story um several years ago my dad was arrested and detained and his rights violated for a crime that he did not commit he was working at a place where his boss had all the power and all the influence and um, he was taking he was detained by the police he and some of his colleagues just as a way to show influence right and it was a very traumatizing time for my family, my family i was yeah. pretty young then we ended up spending like so much money trying to get him out because um, i was from a very pretty average family very very average family and we didn't have a lawyer in my family at the time after he got out you know he always just used to say one of his kids is going to become a lawyer and he had six kids and it so happened that my two elder ones you know did not study law so i had to go study law because somebody had to become a lawyer to deal with injustice issues and all of that. Yeah. So that's that's the backstory um to how we started. I had a personal experience with justice system that was really, really terrible. And then when I became a lawyer and I started practicing, I also learned firsthand how the justice system was unfair to the poor. How when you are poor, you are most likely not to get justice. You're most likely not to be able to afford the services of a qualified lawyer. And that there's so many people that are innocent in prison, you know, that have no business being here just because you know, they have their persons of low economic status. So that's the story. That's how we started to provide access to justice to the underserved in the society, to provide access to justice to people who come in contact with the criminal justice system. So um, when we started, we realized that the problem was deeper than we thought, um, so we had situations whereby we would provide free legal services to people and when they come out they don't even have transportation care to go to their houses and we had to start, you know, supporting them in some way and we began to ask ourselves, this place is supposed to be a correctional facility, why are they not being empowered, why are they not, you know, why is something not happening to change their life or to change their mindset um so we decided to include access to justice and you know just some way of empowering people in prison so currently um, we've provided access to justice to about 300 pre-trial detainees in nigeria and we've also been able to empower women and um, young men with vocational skills some of them have been able to pay for their um exam fees to write gc neco and all of that thing basically um to solve the inequity problem in the system um so what we usually do is we go to meet them where they are we go to the correctional facilities um, and then take up the cases we usually so so the problem is quite vast right so we understand that there are so many people that don't have access to justice there are people on our streets on our roads um around us but we believe that the people who majorly would not have access to justice are people that are, are people who are locked up behind bars. so we go to prison to meet them where they are yeah. take up their cases and um, provide access to justice to them and just kind of uh, make the world you know, a a a better place for them. For for some of them, what took them to prison is a is an inequity issue, right? So we provide access to justice to people that are innocent and people that are also not innocent. But when okay. we look at the things that take them there, we realize that it's simple things like so. You find someone in prison because they stole food. We had someone once who stole cashew nuts, and he was in prison for two years. So when you look at those kind of cases, right, you find that that it's disproportionate. The crime that was committed is disproportionate to the offence and also disproportionate to the sentence that was given to him. Where someone who stole cash is given two years or spends two years awaiting trial, and then someone who stole billions of Naira is told to just plead again and then he goes court-free, you know that there's something wrong. So we try to reduce the time that they would ordinarily spend in prison, even if they have committed that offence and also try to ensure that the root cause of them committing the offense is dealt with by empowering them while they're prison.
0: Wow. Wow, Um Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for taking us through that journey. I mean, that was really a personal experience. You guys are doing great work so far. Over three hundred trial detainees in Nigeria, you've provided um, justice to them and um, it means a lot. I have a question for you on how that has been going. You know how because going to five states, it's it's a lot. Give yeah. or take, it's really a lot. But before I get there, I would like um, Viola to speak on um, his perception on the state of social justice in Nigeria. You know, um, if there's a balance right now in where Nigerian social justice is and where it ought to be.
1: Thank you for that question, Nancy, and wonderful submission from Council. I think that social justice issues are extremely broad and diverse. And you can refer to economic justice, you can refer to legal, you can refer to a whole, you know, a, a, or a combination of the three. But the principal thing is understanding that. Citizens of a country, citizens of a democratic country are owed entitlements. They are owed some aspect of the Commonwealth that can enable them live a fulfilling life, that can enable them live the best life they can, and that can enhance their their capabilities and their potentials. Anything that does not allow for that shows that there is an imbalance somewhere and there is inequity and inequality, and a, a, a derogation from their from their entitlement. So I would say that for one, Nigeria has battled with trying to find a balance in providing social justice for its citizens from the sixties. So from the emergence of what we know today as Nigeria, there have been problems and challenges with the rate of development and the rate of population growth, for example. So you have large swaths of people who simply do not have access to basic amenities. And this lack of access to these amenities is a form of injustice. I will say here that with entitlements also come responsibilities. So there needs to be, at a broad level, some understanding of how entitlements and responsibilities play a complementary role. And by by responsibilities, of course, you know I mean uh, paying your taxes, being a law-abiding citizen and what have you. But the, the inability of the government to provide a level playing field, to provide a secure playing field is what is perhaps one of the major reasons why Nigeria today is still struggling to provide these entitlements to people and thereby effectively cutting them off from playing their part or playing their role as citizens in in governance. Speaking specifically to the issue of of legal justice, it's it's been a point of interest for scholars, for researchers, for civil society activists, because the function of law is to ensure that a society is orderly and the the emergence of a mass of people interested in ensuring that the Nigerian state is able to be just and fair was one of the reasons why the National Human Rights Commission was given special status as having, as being a, 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 an institution of government that is on first line charge. So they are going to be given their their, their, their budgets will be approved, their you know, allocations will be carried out statutorily, just like how you have first line charge for the National Assembly and the National Judicial Council. So this is kind of to give you an insight into the attempts at institutionalizing justice at the national level. Whether this is translated to, to a change on the ground, is very difficult to say. Going by indexes and measurements of Nigeria's performance on things like freedom from the Freedom House and things like the rule of law. The, the World Justice Report has a rule of law index where they measure progress made by countries in various aspects ranging from criminal procedure and justice to civil procedure and justice you and know, elimination of corruption. And Nigeria appears to not be particularly performing well enough. So the empirical evidence does show that there is a huge gap between the expectations of citizens and the performance and reality of the government on the ground. Fortunately, we have people like Ms. Funke who are pushing that advocacy. And I'd also like to mention here that the legal profession arms you with those skills to be an advocate. We are literally, by we, I'm a lawyer myself for listeners who who care to know, we are are literally advocates, because what lawyers do in the court of law is to advocate for a particular position, advocate for a particular interest, advocate for a particular person. And the court is there to ensure that the parties who bring a dispute before it are treated fairly and are treated justly. So from a fundamental point of view, what persons like Funke are doing are are critical to improving the quality of social justice and improving the quality of the administration of justice as well. But in in summary, I think there is a there, there are several gaps that need to be plugged, specifically relating to The role of the police as investigatory bodies and as criminal punishment bodies as those who provide a level of oversight surveillance and arrest and keep the the, the country the various states in which they uh, in which they are located uh, in order i think that should be one of the most sore points of a lack of justice and, and a, a problem with the dispensation of criminal justice in particular. And uh, I'm glad that there are organizations and individuals that are taking their time to ensure that individuals and citizens who are deprived of their rights in circumstances that leave a lot to be desired are able to have their cases pleaded and are able to you know, have justice as it is served Thank you.
0: Thank you so much, Vahela. I agree with you when you say the work that Funke um, and Who Behind Bars are doing uh, is critical to improving the quality of social justice in Nigeria. So now let me go to Funke. Um, You mentioned that the reason why you started Who Behind Bars was from a personal angle, right? So, along the way, At what point did you realize that okay regardless of support um i have to keep going i have to keep pressing on it is beyond uh, my family now it's beyond my dad it is now what you're seeing the plight of other individuals other people who are defenseless so at what point did you realize that okay irrespective i'm going to keep going i'm going to keep supporting and fighting for equity
2: and social justice
0: Okay, um,
2: thank you so much for that question. So when I started practicing as a lawyer, I I handled a particular case where um, I had um, 15 clients. Now I I mentioned this case to pull up from what um, Bahala said concerning the police and some learnings I've also taken up in my journey, you know, as a defender. So so we had these guys who 15 of them were um, arrested and one of them was shot dead um, in the presence of 14 other guys and you know the police just basically told them that you have to confess to the crime they didn't commit the crime he told them you have to confess to the crime or else you will go like this other guy and that was Uh how (laughs) yes yes that was how they they confessed to the crime so it's a popular case it happened while i was practicing with an san in Lagos. um and you know, it was a highly sensational case. The long and short was uh, militants had committed pipeline vandalization and murdered some policemen in a shootout. Um, and you know the police knew the militants, they knew that the militants were a no area and then they went for our clients. So I think that was one of the cases that really made me see that, you know what, this work has to be done. So that happened in 2015, between 2015 and 2017. Um, and the fact that I was pretty young in the profession then, i handled the case with a senior of mine and we won at the high court at the court of appeal was really wow. what made me say that okay this work has to be done um, and so hope behind started off in 2018. Um, so over time I, I, one of the other things i have also realized is following up from what he, jo- he had mentioned about the police that yeah it's great to offer legal services to people but as long as some work is not done at the system level we would keep going around in circle. So we are now, one of the things we're now doing intentionally is working with other stakeholders in the justice system. Okay. Um, yeah, and I see a need for that. I see a need for working with the police because most of the challenges we face start from the police, which is the entry point into the criminal justice system. Um, working with the police, yes, working with National Human Rights Commission, because when people don't have access to justice, their human rights have been violated. I'm also working with the Legal Aid Council. The Legal Aid Council is the body that is statutorily um giving the mandate to provide access to justice to people. Um, but as we have it right now, you know, when when, when we had discussions the legal aid, they complained of funding issue and all of that, right? Um, but yeah. the legal aid so 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 for a very long time the work at put behind bars was funded by me. Um, because funders usually not fund access to justice, they would usually not fund um, legal services. So they would fund other t- types of advocacy efforts, but not um, legal services. So, yeah, okay. so we've been the one bootstrapping and funding and all of that. From the uh, beginning? Then, yes, from the beginning um, up until now, to be very candid yeah wow. but you know the realization that we're able to change people's life and um, when you when we through some of the stories that we have shared on our social media we see people that ordinarily had lost all hope um and then we just do something small like provide free legal services it might just even be one cut appearance and that's the funny thing that it might not take one two three years to get these people out and then get them back on track, living a better life, but it changes everything for them. So that's one of the things that keeps that keeps us going, that keeps me going, that keeps me saying that. Um, so this is not just going to be all about my family. This will be all about the common good. So yeah, I think that that's that's what keeps me going, and also the fact that now we are not just doing service delivery work. We're trying to change the system holistically We have learnings, the learnings from. The over three hundred persons that we've been able to provide services for it has helped strengthen our advocacy work so now we have evidence-based advocacy to push for certain reforms and mm-hmm. also to say that um i would say nigeria has a very great legal framework when it comes to administration of criminal justice um in terms of our um administration of criminal justice acts and the administration of criminal justice law in the 28 states that have domesticated them we have great legal framework the the framework allows for judicial monitoring of cases and you know just helping to decongest the prison but someone needs to stand behind implementing it so that's where we come in that's where other cso's that are doing the kind of work that we do comes in to ensure that you know the government doesn't just have these laws and the laws are just there somebody has to do something to ensure that the laws are working so these are the things that actually keeps me going um to say that we are not where we used to be. I don't know, I, I often just like saying this, that we can't know where we used to be. One of the things I didn't mention was that I had written my final year thesis on prison, on, on criminal justice reforms, on restorative justice and criminal justice reforms. Um, That was in 2012. 2012, yes. And I know what the statistics were at the time. I know what the laws were. As at 2012, we didn't have restorative laws at all. Um, mm. We had a criminal law of Lagos State that was a bit restorative, but we didn't have the ACJA, right? We didn't have the Nigerian Correctional Service Act that is very, very corrective in nature. So, I, I this is something that has been a part of me for as long as I can remember. I see that we're not where we used to be, right? But there is so much work to be done, and that's what keeps me going. That's what keeps us, you know, doing this work, and we we'll continue to do it as long as, you know, until we see what we want to see um
0: thank you very much i wanted to even ask you about the police because what's led to ensense movements was actually police and uh, their brutality and the way they just manipulate and turn things around um, so I'm coming to that. I think that will be part of your challenges. I want to know how um, the police force, because um, like you mentioned, they're part of the stakeholders for Who Behind Bars. Um, you mentioned working with the police, the Human Rights Commission, the Legal Aid Council. So I want to know um, if you have had any experiences with the police in maybe in hampering what Who Behind Bars are
2: doing. Okay. So yeah, our work involves interfacing with the police every other day, right? Um, and so we have a plethora of experiences with them, which is not always favorable. Um, because first off, when a client is, um, if someone is arrested, for the people that we meet at the point of um, detention at the police cells, right? When we go to the police station, when the police is a lawyer, um, there is already a problem. You know, because prior to a lawyer coming in, you know, they're, they're probably asking for bribe from our clients. Um, and then the lawyer comes and lets us if the lawyer wants to take away their food. So that's where <laughs> the first problem starts from. Now, the second problem starts from the fact that um, they usually don't understand the rules of engagement when it comes to what the law says. And I'm speaking for areas where, um, for areas like Kano, at those states where we work. So we were currently. Uh, in, in five states, like I mentioned Abuja, Kano, Edo, Nasarawa, and Nainja, and would often have that runoff with the police. Now, in all these states that I mentioned, the ACJ has been um, domesticated there. That's the Admission of Criminal Justice Act. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they, we often run into problems with them with respect to their understanding of what the law says with respect to even the understanding of the provisions of the police act of the new police act which was enacted in 2020 for instance the police act says that you cannot arrest someone in lieu of another person right and um, before if you are a, a, a somebody's sister can be arrested in view mm. of the person who committed the crime you know? now the police act says no that's not that's no longer allowed but this still happens right we, we still see this kind of situation in places like you know outside of abuja it's a whole lot of back and forth trying to explain or teach and um, someone who is supposed to know what the law says it's always a whole lot of back and forth and you know, a whole lot of time wasted. it's also a whole lot of um trying to orientate the public so so this question about police has to do with the police and also has to do with the public our beneficiaries the fact that some of our beneficiaries would rather believe the words of a police over the words of their lawyer. Let me give a particular example. So we had someone who was um, who was in prison for about two years. And in the course of, so we came in after he had spent about two years in prison. And wh- after we came in, we found out that he had sort of like bribed the police a couple of times the police kept telling him that we were going to get him out the matter was already at the stage of trial at the stage of trial no police can help you right yes and you know we 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 did everything we could you know to assure him that don't worry we got you and all of that but you know right behind our back somehow the police were able to get true to him and you know they gave the police some money and somehow, you know, they were able to get him out. Now, this is something that would have still happened if they had allowed us to adjust. So, so the other issue we have is the fear the, the uh, beneficiaries or the fear the public has for the police and the belief that, OK, the police is going to help you over against the defence lawyer. So when the defence lawyers, for us, we want to do it the right way. And, you know, it might take a little bit of time. But the police is telling you, oh, brings us some amount of money, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know we're going to get you out and you don't want to know the amount of kind of money these guys ask for from people that don't have jobs and all of that we're talking like 400, 500,000 and all of that so wow. it's it's a whole lot of challenge with the police you know understanding what the law says about their 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 role also um the fact that we have a major challenge with state account state security accountability now what do i mean by that over time we've had policemen who have um engaged in in um, violations of human rights and all of that and it's it's really hard when there is no consequence mechanism what do i mean by consequence mechanism they don't see that this is what so this person can be said you know for carrying out mm. this, this action you know they are not there is no so there is a body there's a police service commission that is supposed to look into um, petitions relating to violations by police officers and all of that. But there is really nothing. There is nothing on plan to show that, OK, if you commit this offense, this is what would happen to you. And um, we, we, we filed a fundamental human rights action against the police one time in 20, I think 20, 2017. No, no, not 2017, 2018. And what what, what happened, they had filed a, a, an action against someone and, you know, his power was missing. The state's, the state police, um, you know, for like a year or two, they just practically abandoned, you know, our clients there, and we filed a fundamental human rights action and sued for damages, hoping that maybe the damages was going to deter the police. We we asked for ten million naira, and the judge okay. gave us four hundred k. 400k yeah? in damages for wasting a man's life for two years but it did not even end at the 400k there was also the challenge of enforcing the judgment so this for me is also another issue with the consequence mechanism that in nigeria by virtue of um, section 84 of the sheriffs and civil um, procedural Act. You know, for you to enforce a judgment against the state, you need the permission of the state to enforce that judgment. That again falls, you know, some of the problems you have in terms of not being able to hold the state to account, you know, when they violate the rights of persons and all of that. So it's all um, a whole lot. And again, I still think that there, there, there are places in the legislations that we currently have that we can use to address some of these gaps. But then. You know the the gaps like what the the enforcement of judgment against state, state actors like this section is that i just mentioned that yeah. also needs to be dealt with yeah something like that needs to be dealt with
0: thank you thank you so much uh thank you You're for that, thought. that was quite detailed um so now let's switch over to vahela um well, I want you to talk about what budget is doing, you know, to push um, the collective interest and probably increase accountability and um, promote civic participation in Nigeria. And also, if you could address um, ways at which these gaps that um, Funke has mentioned can plugged, and how citizens can actually step in what is needed for them to do um, so that uh, at least justice reform in nigeria is gonna leave its current state and you know be better thank you
1: for that question nancy so for budgets mainly we try to provide information and this is premised on the, the the belief that providing information for citizens Creating conversations, creating forums where conversations can be had, and then engaging with the government on critical citizens' issues is a way to improve the quality of governance and the government. Because that belief rests on the idea that when people are empowered with information, they will tend to act in their own interests, they ask questions, and ensure that governance and government is carried out in the the interests of of citizens. However, as Funke would bear me witness, it is always difficult to rely on the, the passion or shame or guilt of government officials where there is no real compulsion for them, for them to carry out that particular act. And this still devolves into the problem that technically is referred to as the principal agent problem. How can we as citizens ensure that the government does what it is supposed to do? With all its internal mechanisms, the government still often fails to provide quality services and goods for its citizens. In Funke's case, justice. How does the Ministry of Justice, the various institutions in that justice dispensation line, from courts, to registrars, to bailiffs, to lawyers, to public councils, to the police. How are these individuals working together cohesively, efficiently, and effectively to have justice dispensed with that goes in the interest of the just, goes in the interest of the weak, goes in the interest of the vulnerable where they have a case. And these are ongoing questions that cannot be answered in a day because they would require meaningful engagement from all stakeholders involved. But as as an advocacy organization, as a civic engagement organization, budgets and organizations like Bunkers are in that seat that can drive conversation, that can drive change, that can seek for the transformation of a particular context or even the the life of a particular individual and use those as examples for the government to see that governance can be improved and and can be acted upon through collaboration with civil society organizations and also for citizens to see and understand that there is a a benefit to overall governance that they can bring where they are able to engage, where they are able to ask questions, where they are able to interrogate their elected officials, where they're able to write letters, where they are able to carry out peaceful protests, where they're able to go to the offices of these uh, government agencies involved in the dispensation of justice, for example, or involved in the, in the, in the setting up of a community health center or school and ask the questions because this is our collective commonwealth and the best person to be in that seat is 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 the citizen so in essence these gaps can be filled by empowering citizens with knowledge by empowering citizens with the with the notion that they are they are able to change the context they are able to change the system because they are active participants in that system. And you know, this can be done by, by testing the limits of the law. So one thing that is common in many developed countries because of the nature of their legal system and how efficient, efficient it is, is public interest uh, litigation. And that basically is when a, an institution, an organization or an NGO tries to seek the determination of a legal issue in a court because the person or persons affected may not have the capacity to do so. And the court is then able to speak authoritatively on that particular issue and perhaps finally determine that issue for society and for societal growth. And you know you have organizations in Nigeria that do that, but have had, you know maybe not as much success as they would have wanted organizations like SERAP that often take public offices, public officials and and public public organizations, you know, to court for the determination yeah. of specific issues. So that's an example of how you can bridge that gap. By supporting civil society organizations, I think citizens can play a very large role by by carrying on these conversations really even in our private and public discourse, and ensure that the advocacy doesn't stop when the NGO official or when the meeting ends. It is within our consciousness. It is something we speak about. It is something that we actively uh, seek out. You know, so I, I think for for justice in particular, those are some of the ways that those these gaps can be, can be bridged.
0: All right. thank you so much thank you for that um Funke, tell us um one or two challenges that is recurring for you um and hope you in bars then you can now go to what you think citizens can do and where and how they can come
2: okay thank you um so so one or two challenges for us would be the fact that um it's, it's still what we've been saying right the fact that the work we do is if, if things were working very well in Nigeria, if the government was was doing its job right, um, if all stakeholders were doing their job, we will probably not need to do some of the things we're doing. Um, yeah. So, so what we're doing is providing an amenity for, um, for citizens or providing a service for citizens that the government should ordinarily be providing. Um, so, it, our work doesn't stop at providing the service. Our work stops. Um, or starts at ensuring system change. So I think it's a major challenge because we could continue providing services, free legal service for as long as possible. If the government doesn't do what it needs to do, if the government doesn't sit on its mandate, we're we'll just be going around in circle. So, okay. yeah, yeah. So, so um, it's it's really challenging because the the least we can do is advocate, provide service delivery. Um, try to push for implementation of laws we cannot yes. we cannot take we cannot force the government to act um right um we cannot give them the political will to do their job that's it they so, need to have it yes they need to have the political a political will they need to be seen to want to create that social justice and equity and all of that so that's the first thing the fact that we need for us to say we have seen real change like real-time system change you know the government needs to needs to be able to fund him. Um, a second challenge I would say is I don't want to talk about the challenge of funding because to be to a very large extent we have Nigerians and, and you know this also I'm tying this to the other question the other question about what citizens can do. The fact that at Hope behind bars we have to harness the strength and the skills of well-meaning Nigerian lawyers so, um, we don't have to pay or we don't have to start thinking of funding because we have Nigerians across, Nigerian lawyers across, you know, the states where we work tickets, paid, think, yes. services for free. Yes. Yeah. So, in terms of what citizens can do, right, yeah. um, following from what the Hala said, use the information that is presented to them um, to get the government to act, to hold the government accountable and also to find how to occupy their role or their places, at, you know, Take, take up their role that's in the office of the citizen and so for us we have lawyers you know who provide these services for free they're not paid you know while still doing their own job that's 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 an addition or that's something citizens can do using the information that um 70 percent of persons behind bars are waiting trial that's a problem what can we do about it right so that's one of the things i would say citizens can do we as citizens must not shy away from um from from working in areas where we can create change um, the police we keep talking about the police we keep talking about the police the police recruitment is currently ongoing People can decide that, okay, I want to go work with police and see what I can change about the system, right? And not just stand outside and point fingers and criticize and all of that. So since you've got it, why not go inside and see how you can create change from ins- from the inside out? That's one of it. Um, another thing I would say is the place of not leaving the work for organizations such as us, right? Um, at times you hear people say on Twitter and on social media that what are NGOs doing about this thing? What What are CSOs doing about this thing? Well, we need to get to, to understand that it's not just the NGOs. The NGOs are not doing it for their pocket or for themselves. So they are doing it for the citizens, right? So, yes, we have citizens who are who are able to join us in this efforts, like lawyers, I said, work with me and all. But we also need to keep orientating. You know, many more citizens to understand that everybody needs to take their place. And I think things have actually changed since NSAS protests. Um, NSAS protest has positively affected, you know, citizen engagement. People now know that they can, you know, you, they can be, go out on the streets and the government and start change. Yes. Yeah, Demand rights. So it's important that, you know, we keep up that momentum in the way that we want, we want history to be proud of us. So this is very important for me because um, the NSAS, has a lot of effect on my work, the NSAS protest, because, you know, I walk around issues of criminal justice, um, administration and reforms, and the NSAS was all about the police, police brutality and all of that. And um, there were elements like wanted to change the narrative of the NSAS protest by saying that, um, you know, we were they were insurgents they we wanted to have actually violence. There yes. So of, yeah, there was so much of disinformation and disinformation. So for me, I think that's something else yes, that we must also look at, ensuring that we keep the history of the the dividends, positive dividends of ENSA's alive. Um, the fact that the government actually heard us, right? Things we have not changed immediately, but the fact that citizens are engaging more, you know, in recent times, even in a, when you go into our electoral forum, we see that these people are scared right um, when i say these people i mean um, government actors and all of that and uh, the fact that for instance twitter was banned after nsat and we all know that it was just because the government was scared of what could happen the citizens yeah. come together so those are the kind of stories we want to tell right not allowing um the disinformation and misinformation to keep to keep to to keep you know being out there and you know yes we'll keep hearing those those stories those um, the, the, the um, narrative that wants to be pushed by the state actors, so it's for us to tell our own story that, okay, this is what happened, that this is what we're able to achieve. And just basically just keep pushing until we, achieve, until we see what we want to achieve. Thank you
0: so much for that, Finke. Thank, Thank you so much. Um, Vahela, listen, what's closing words from you.
1: I, I believe that there is a, a, a huge potential for social change to occur when citizens are aware of the power in their collective action. And it's apt that, you know, Ms. Funke mentioned that NSARS was a turning point for her. As a lawyer myself, I I always try to let people know that it is not unjust to protest. As long as you are doing so safely, as long as you are doing so legally, you have Most every possible. fundamental right yes and responsibly, you have every right to air your grievances, you have every right to express displeasure about governance because it affects us all uh, fundamentally. So I I think we as, as young people, we as concerned citizens should constantly remind ourselves and those around us that advocacy is not just when it is done by a figurehead. And by figurehead, I mean when it is done by someone visible, when it is done by a budget, or when it is done by phone care, or when it is done by a CSO organization. Advocacy is done when we consistently have these conversations about how we want our society to look like. Social justice, in its fundamental sense, comes from the understanding that there is a way society should look. There are resources, goods, and services that should be exchanged for people who are in weak or vulnerable positions that they deserve to have. It is these conversations that gradually become our collective reality and become something that we all aspire to. So I, I think I'd like to end on that note.
0: Thank you so much, Funke. Thank you, Viola. It was good to hear from you both. Um, thank you so much. Yes, and that was Viola Kua, the Senior Research and Policy Analyst at Budget Foundation. And Funke Adeoye. Funke is the Executive Director, Kopia and Africa. They've been galvanizing for citizens' rights, human rights, advocacy and social justice and equity in Nigeria. The conversation is to reflect on the progress that we have made as civil society organizations and as citizens. It takes a lot of effort to do good work here, but when people do good work, they want to be seen. and it is beyond that it is beyond you it is beyond yourself you have to come together and with one voice demand accountability from the government and to demand this accountability you have to keep up the momentum use the information that are available to you budgets will continue to provide this information um in the hope to further create a swirl of collective actions among collaborators organizations and citizens so as citizens we must ask ourselves what is our role? what is your role as citizens? what intentional effort have you made to enhance social justice and equity in Nigeria ask yourself how am I contributing to the objective of effective service delivery in Nigeria yeah now take a moment to reflect and answer these questions and I'll see you in the next episode I am Nancy bye for now